With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. We are coming up on a very special anniversary, our 100th episode. And so we want to hear from you. Send us a voice memo to hola at latinatolatina.com telling us what the podcast has meant to you when you've kept going, a time you've persevered. We want to hear it all. Isabella Gomez was just 17 years old when she and her parents moved to LA so that she could pursue acting. Six months, hundreds of auditions later, and she'd received zero callbacks. She adjusted her approach, she started having fun, and two months later, she booked her breakout role on One Day at a Time. We talk about getting the show, losing the show, getting it back, and what it's like to be a public person when you're still figuring out who you are. Thanks for doing this. Of course. I'm so excited to do it. From quarantine. From Um, quarantine. Take me back to your audition for One Day at a Time. Yes. So my first audition for One Day at a Time came actually after um, there was an article out that Norman Lear was redoing one of his shows. And I was at the time testing for another show. So I just kind of didn't think anything of it. My um, acting coach had sentenced to me and was like, you'd be perfect for the daughter. And I was like, I'm doing this other thing. Um, And obviously that show didn't go my way. And I got an audition for an Elena Alvarez. And as I was reading the audition, I was like, this sounds so familiar. And I realized it was the same article that my acting coach had sent me. So I went in, it was at Sony Studios, and it's always so exciting for an actor to get to go into a studio to do an audition. I go in, it's a sitcom, it's a comedy. And at this point in my life, I thought I was exclusively a dramatic actor. So I was like, ooh, I know. Isabel, you're 22 and you're playing a teen. Is that weird? (laughs) I've always looked 
so much younger than I am. And I've never felt an age, if that makes sense. So it's weird in that, for example, like when she was having her quinceanera, I was 18. So like I, it wasn't correlating to my life. But in a way, it's actually really nice because I get to be a little bit ahead of her and remember what those experiences were like and mm -hmm. then have insight going back instead of living it at the same time as her. And especially those years for a young woman are so hard. <laughs> I think it's nice that I'm a couple years ahead of her. There's no amount of money you could pay me to be in my teens again. Oh my God, no thank you. And I like barely just got out of them and I'm like, how did I do it? Well, especially because your teens were not, I don't know what normal is, but they're certainly not average. Yeah, they were definitely not the norm. Was that real to you as you were going through it? I'm somebody that lives in my head a lot. So I never really settled into what all of it meant until I look back at it. For example, I'm an immigrant. And for some reason, I always, I just always saw myself as first gen. And I was like, no, you're an immigrant. Like you, I remember living in Colombia. I lived there till I was 10. Like I had this whole other life. I didn't notice it as much going through it until I started working more. And then people saw me differently. And then mm. people started acting a little different. And then especially once I moved to LA, I realized that, um, it just wasn't the same. My senior year, I did online. I never went to prom. I guess I was valedictorian, but nobody told me. I didn't go to graduation. So it's all these things that like normal, quote unquote, people don't get. But I get to go to award shows and be in the same room as Lemon Miranda. And I get to go on set and like have a graduation on set. And like, I, I feel like I'm getting all of these meaningful experiences, they're just very different from what the average, I guess, kid would have. So much of One Day at a Time is about family. What is your family like? My family's the best. Um, I, well, right now, you know, I just do, I have my mom and my dad. I have an uncle, an aunt, and a little cousin in Florida, and the rest of my family's in Colombia still. So my parents and I are super close. My mom had me when she was 19, so she was just kind of always a friend instead of a mom. And we're just really tight. I have always said my parents are my best friends, especially my dad. My mom gets really upset about it because she's like, it's Team Sergio and Team Isabella against me. <laughs> but my dad and I are super similar, and they're just so much fun. You started acting really young. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your first acting job in Colombia. My first acting job um, that I remember, I've noticed I have a pretty bad memory, but I'm pretty sure this was my first one, is I did a commercial for a toilet paper company in Colombia. And I remember it was because when I was five or six, I randomly went up to my parents and was like, I want to be an actor. And the industry in Colombia is so small and it's mostly novelas and there's not a lot of kids in those. And so they were like, we don't know what to do. But my mom had a really close friend who was in the industry. So she was like, hey, my daughter wants to act. And he was like, cool, let's put her in this thing I'm doing. And I just remember it being the most fun I've ever had. I've also, I'm an only child and I love adults. I've always just done better around adults. So I was the only kid on set and they were asking me all these big questions about like what I wanted to wear. And like, they put the camera in front of me and I remember people kind of being like, you know, don't be nervous or whatever. And I was like, nervous? This is the coolest thing that's ever 
happened. And then I got paid with um, two Barbies instead of money because there is no union in Colombia. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I was like, what, six, seven? I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I get to be in front of a camera and I get free Barbies. Like, this is the dream and I made it. I hope you have negotiated a better day rate for yourself. <laughs> at this point. I have. I've I've raised my standards a bit. <laughs> so then when you're 10, you move to Orlando. What was the impetus for the move? So my dad had another brother that lived in, and he was a half-brother that lived in Florida that they had lost, lost touch. And he kind of re-entered the picture and was like, I'd love to reconnect with the family. And so we came and visited and kind of fell in love with the U.S. and... I think overall, you know, there's the idea of there's a better life waiting for you in the U.S. And at the time, my family members that lived here were like, we'd love to have you. And like my dad had a job at the company if he wanted to come. And it just seemed like everything clicked into place. And it was a bit of a no brainer. Then 2015, you moved to L.A. Mm -hmm. Was that to pursue acting? Yes, Yes. Um, and it was actually my dad's call. I We had been obviously toying with the idea of moving to LA. I was so scared. I'm, I'm very scared of change. <laughs> I don't love it. And so it was my dad that was like, you know what? We're moving this summer and that's that. And we did. We got in a car and drove cross country and here we are. That's wild. It, it was so wild. And did things pick up immediately or was there a moment where you were like, this is a terrible mistake? Oh my God. <laughs> it, so I the first time I felt like a terrible mistake was I was in our tiny little apartment and school hadn't started yet. And I had no friends. My car wasn't here yet. We didn't have Wi-Fi. And I remember just sitting in my room and being like, what did I do? Like, what is this? I don't. I'm going into my junior year and I know nobody and I didn't even have an agent out here. So that was scary. And then I also remember, so my first six months, I auditioned all the time and especially pilot season. I think, my God, I was going out like five, six times a week, which is more than I had ever auditioned. And I didn't get a single callback in six months, not one callback out of hundreds of auditions. It's brutal. And I'm 17, and I just made my family leave everything they know to come pursue this thing that I thought I was ready for, and I'm not even getting a call back. And I remember just being so distraught and, like, not even knowing, like, what to do because I understood the industry, but also in a way, in, in Florida, I was kind of, quote, unquote, bigger fish in a small pond, so I was like, oh, I'm going to get there and I'm going to book, and I didn't. And I remember it all kind of shifted for me. We went on a cruise to Hawaii and I was on a beach in Hawaii with my parents talking about it. And they were talking to me about how like, I wasn't having fun anymore. Like an audition would come in and it wasn't exciting. It was something I dreaded and I didn't want to go and I felt so stressed. And so I just said, you know what? If I'm not getting callbacks anyway, I'm just gonna have fun and, and enjoy this thing that I moved here for that I love. And so after that, I started just going for fun and auditioning as a thing that I like to do. And that's when I tested for that other show. And then two months later, I booked one day at a time. There's a lesson in there, even for those of us who are not actors, mm -hmm. which is like sometimes 
I always thought that wanting something so much was the only way to get it. But there is some space between that Mm -hmm. and wanting something, but knowing that it's not the end-all, be-all. Totally. That I think actually just makes makes you better at whatever it is you're trying to do. It's very counterintuitive. And also doing it for the right reasons. I still wanted to do it, but I think doing it because it was fun and not because I felt like I needed to book a job was so important. Because booking, going into an audition with the mindset of I'm going to book this job does not service the character, the story. And, and people can tell. People can tell when you walk into an audition desperate. So... Yeah, it was, it was, and it's something that I still have to go back to all the time. I have to keep reminding myself, you're doing this because you love it. If it was for fame or for money, there are easier ways to get famous and rich. And so just have a good time. Miss Juleka, nice to have you on. Must be a special reason. Yeah, yeah, you know it's a special reason since I like to be behind the scenes. All right. So when Canto Beauty decided to come on board, I mm-hmm. yes, you rushed to volunteer to try the products. <laughs> yes, I know I did, and it's the first time I know. But I've already been using the coconut curling cream for years, so I figured I wasn't going to miss a chance to try out sister products. I like the photo you sent me the other day. Your hair looked really good. And that was just after one shampoo and conditioner. My curls were shiny and smooth, man. And my comb was not full of my own hair after I detangled it in the shower. Mm-hmm. You know, even in pictures, it's coming through. Like, your hair looks shiny and hydrated and just so healthy. Thanks. I really appreciate that you let me send you those because I'm really excited <laughs> <laughs> about the change. So how many products are you using all told? Right now, I've got like four. So I'm using the shampoo, the conditioner, the leaving cream. And then can I just tell you what my favorite is? Mm-hmm. The Wave Whip. First of all, that name is everything. But I love how my waves and my curls just are fuller. They're more touchable. They're less frizzy. I mean, I know I sound like an ad, but let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can enjoy the benefits of the Gantu Beauty hair care line, picking up your favorites at Target or ordering from Target.com. One day at a time deals with some really heavy topics. It deals Mm -hmm. with immigration, it deals with consent, it deals with sexual orientation. How has being on the show impacted you? I am exponentially a better person because of the show. I, I think I grew up very unaware and very ignorant of the world. You know, I like switched cultures when I was 10 and I was completely new to this country. And then I lived in Florida. So I was just unaware of a lot of stuff. I didn't even know that I was unaware. I didn't realize that there was more to learn. And then you move to LA, which is super liberal and super hippy dippy and super whatever. And I get on a show like one day at a time where we're talking about these things that I know nothing about. And it's just made me so much more aware. It's made me so much more empathetic. It's made me realize that I am not the center of the universe, which for a long time growing up as an only child and especially as an immigrant where like you only have your core family, you think, oh, everything's kind of about me and how I'm transitioning through this. And then I realized that that's couldn't be further from the truth. And it's just, it's taught me so much about artistry and humanity. 
and how much talking about these things actually means to people. Because I also grew up, there's all the talk of representation, but I am white passing. And in Colombia, everything was dubbed into Spanish. And so I grew up thinking that Hannah Montana and Wizard to Waverly Place were about people like me because those girls looked like me and they were speaking Spanish. And so it's just made me so much more aware. We interviewed uh, Gloria Calderon Kellett uh, for one of our, like way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, love her, such a powerhouse. What have you learned from working with her? That anything is possible and that anything is possible and you can still be nice. She is a powerhouse and she is taking over Hollywood and she is so nice and she can I curse? (laughs) And she gives a shit, man. Like she gives a shit about everything that she does and everybody that's involved in her projects. And I think that is so powerful and meaningful, especially in, I feel like our culture is so much about productivity and, and how much can you do and how much can you like churn out and do whatever it takes to be that way. Like, I feel like even a few years ago, there was such an emphasis of like, you can sleep when you're dead and like hustle and hustle and you don't have to be nice. You just have to get it done. And Gloria is the epitome of you can rest and have a balanced life. And of course she still like struggles with that, but like you can rest and have a balanced life and be nice and still rise to the top. And I think That is such a good lesson to learn this early on. One Day at a Time, originally on Netflix, loyal following, dedicated following, very vocal on social media, (laughs) Um, and never more vocal than when Netflix canceled the show. Where were you when you found out that they weren't going to pick it up for another season? I was in Vancouver, and Mike and Gloria called me, and I'm in the back. And it's both of them and they don't, they're not screaming. So I can tell something's wrong. And Gloria says, Hey, they're not picking our little show up. And I felt like I get teary. I just thinking about it. I felt my soul like unhinged. Like I just immediately started sobbing. It was really, really rough. And then I remember getting to the hotel room and calling my parents and crying in such a manner that they were like, who died? I don't like what's happening. And I was like, my TV family died. And they were like, you've been in this industry for 15 years. You know, this happens. Get it together. And then when it got picked up again, I had been texting Mike and Gloria for a couple of days because I could feel it in the air that something was shifting. And I remember Mike had told me, we'll know by tomorrow. And then I got on a flight to Spain. So all of the time things were different and I had been on this flight for freaking like 12 hours, whatever long. And I got off on immigration and my parents had come with me and I opened my text and um, I, it was something like, it, it was Gloria and Mike and Gloria said, go miss you there. And Gloria said, um, Mike said, go miss you there. Gloria said, it's done, we're doing the show, or something like that. And I didn't know how to handle myself. I, I'm in an immigration slide. <laughs> and I didn't, I wanted to tell both my parents at the same time. So I just like squealed to myself. I texted my boyfriend at the time. And it was like 
freaking like 1am here, 2am here. And like, I woke him up and he's like, what's happening? Are you okay? And I was like, we got the show back. We got the show back. And he was like, oh my God. And then I got to go the next day to a convention and I had a Q&A scheduled or a, a panel. So there was what felt like millions of people in this freaking audience. And I got to tell them and we all got to just scream and cry so together. Funny. And it was just the most surreal like, couldn't make it up, should be in a movie kind of moment you, I've ever had. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Blackness isn't just about race. I'm Deneen Milner, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. On my podcast, Speakeasy with Deneen, I dive into the beauty and humanity of blackness with people like writer Tayari Jones, journalist Demetria Lucas, and rapper Killer Mike. Listen to Speakeasy with Deneen from Georgia Public Broadcasting. Subscribe for free at gpb.org slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Having the show, then having it taken away, mm -hmm. then having it given back, how has that changed you and your approach to the work? I am infinitely more grateful for what I get to do. I, I always realized that I was super lucky to be doing the show that I was doing. I realized that we were getting spoiled because every director that came in, every guest star that came in were like, this is so special. There isn't a show like this and there isn't a cast like this and there isn't a set like this in show business right now. And so 
getting that taken away is why I was so distraught because I realized what I had. But then having it back, first of all, it made me realize the power of telling stories that matter. And that's why I got into this. I'm fascinated by humans and I like to tell stories that aren't my own. And the Alvarez family is a story that is the story of so many people that I know, but that isn't told on TV often. And so I realized the importance of that. And I realized my privilege and also my responsibility moving forward that as long as I have the ability to, I would love to be able to do work on characters that matter and characters that have something to say. And especially right now, there's a lot of talk about like who gets to play what. And so a lot of my roles now, even though I'm white passing, are mostly Latinx. And if I'm going to play a Latinx woman, she better she better be strong as hell and she better have something to say and she better be smart and she better have all of these things that I know Latinx women to be that is not how we're portrayed at all. And so getting it back has taught me that stories that matter, matter. And representation matters. And when you are telling a story authentically, not only from like the people in front of the screen, but down to our writers, our producers, our directors, the people that put our costumes on us, the people that do our makeup, all of that matters. And I think if I ever had the privilege to have a say in another project, I would be much more aware of the things that I would want out of it. My bias would be that if you're on a super buzzy show and you are this fresh new face of a super buzzy show, that that opens up a world of opportunities in audition land. Mm -hmm. But my understanding from reading other interviews with you is you actually feel like it has narrowed the range of roles that's offered to you. Yeah. So what it is about that is you are told once you get a series regular that everything is easier. For me, though, my experience was I look the way that I look. So I was going out for every role, which meant mostly white roles because people didn't really put it together that Isabella Gomez was Latina because she looked like me and she spoke like me. So I was going out a ton. Granted, I was also going out a ton for like guest stars and like day players so, of course, once you're a series reg, the, your team goes, let's not submit for those because you're trying to build. And going from series reg to a one-day player on a show is not really building. So, of course, those were going to diminish. However, um, I became a series reg on a show that is all about being a Latina. And it's all about our Latinx culture. And, and all my interviews have something to do with me being Latina. And I think that it shifted the people's perspectives of me. I was no longer an actor. I was a Latinx actor. And unfortunately, that means something right now. And my team is incredible, and they try to get me into every room possible. And granted, of course, it did open up a lot of doors. I started having, like, casting director meetings, which I would have never been able to have without the show. And I started, like going in for like huge studio movies that would I would have never been seen for. So it opened up doors, but it also opened them up not in a way that I was expecting them to. I thought that I would be able to get to audition for everything. And I don't, because we have had casting directors say, no, she can't audition for this role because she's Latina. And my team be like, hey, 
sure, she's still an actor. Your character isn't specifically any ethnicity. Why can't she do it? And then being like, well, we already have a POC in the, sh- in the movie or in the show or whatever. And like, we don't need another one or whatever. So that is what I allude to is, is not a problem with my team or people not wanting to see me is people seeing me differently because now I am so outspoken about being Latina and now I'm on this Latina show and it, it's changed things. It's wild. Hollywood's wild. I talk about it because it was such a shock to me because as a white passing woman of color, I walked and moved around the world and around this industry in a very different way without realizing my privilege. So when I got my privilege partially taken away, because again, though, I'm getting a hell of a lot more auditions that my Afro-Latinx counterparts would. So I still have a lot of privilege because of the way that I look. But because I got my part of my privilege taken away, I can see that shift clear as day. And it, I think it's important to talk about because I am a much better actor than I was four years ago, but I am not getting the same traction that I could have potentially had I been cast in a white role instead of a Latinx role. So nuts. We already have a person of color. It's just such a like, whoa. Um, mm-hmm. what, what people in Hollywood are allowed to say that would be like an HR offense in another office? Oh my God. It's insanity. Um, <laughs> this is a personal question, so you can pass on it if you want, but I ask it from right. the place of a like a big sister, which is, what is it like to be in your early 20s and so public, so public-facing, and trying to date? Ooh. Um, God, that's like two questions and layers on top of layers. I don't think it's been until actually pretty recently that I've started understanding what it means for me to put my life out there as much as I do because I'm super active on social media. Is there something that happened that made you sort of realize like, oh, this this is complicated? It's been a bunch of little things. Um, I think one of the things that really throws me is actually when I do interviews and when I do press and somebody brings up something that I put on my social media, it throws me for a loop because... It's hard to put faces to like, yes, I have almost half a million followers. So everything I put out, almost half a million people are looking at. But I don't know that because I just press send and then I keep texting my friends and who cares? So when interviewers are like, oh, so I heard you started a juice cleanse. I'm like, what the? How do you know this thing about my life? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, you willingly put it out there. So it's been like (laughs) a year of that and... I am somebody who's always um, really enjoyed hard conversations and been open to a fault. And that was always a positive until recently where now I feel very guarded and I, which is unfortunate because I feel like I'm learning less because I'm not asking the questions I want to ask or saying the things I want to say because I'm so scared of people misinterpreting my my intentions or taking things out of context. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are your age who grew up on social media who haven't given it that level of thought. Yeah. I mean, it made me anxious and uncomfortable enough that I had to give it thought. So I've definitely 
shifted into being a lot more private about that kind of stuff and about my life in general, which mm-hmm. truthfully feels really weird because I'm I'm crave connection is another reason why I'm an artist and an actor is I crave wanting to know about people's lives and people knowing about mine and talking about stuff. And it feels very odd to be secretive about stuff that consumes so much of your life. But I think at least for the time being, it is a smart choice for me. Yeah, no, I, I feel I, I very much connect with that and connect with the fact that it's like mm-hmm. you, you pay a price either way. Do you know what you want to do next? No idea. Oh, I have an idea. I want to do, which this is a very um, young Hollywood thing to say, but I'd love to do something a little more media, a little more dramatic, a little more intense, because I also find that being on a sitcom puts you in a certain type of box. And thankfully, my sitcom is a very different kind of sitcom where I do get super meaty scenes and I do get to actually be a human and not just be like, boom, all the time. But I do find that sometimes there's resistance from casting directors, and and rightfully so, because they're like, well, she's a sitcom actor. She's funny, and that's what she does. And my team's like, no, 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 we promise, like, can you just (laughs) see her? And they're like, uh, well, there's 50 other girls that have credits that prove that they can do this other thing. So I would love to do something deep and dark and meaty. And I've also like grown a lot in my um, process within the past year or so. And I'd love to see how that would show up with a new character that I haven't been doing for three years. It's exciting. I love that mm-hmm. idea. I love that idea of you doing something different. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You are... Of course. It's, I've read all these things that talk about how charming you are, but you are you are more charming than I could have, could have imagined. Oh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so thoughtful. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Cedric Wilson is our sound designer. Emma Forbes is our assistant producer. Manuela Bedoya is our intern. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. And please, please leave a review. It is one of the quickest and easiest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.